0: Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus came down with them to a level place, and he mingled with the crowd. And instead of ascending to a pulpit position of superiority, Jesus stood among the people where he can feel what we feel. His sermon, if we want to call it that, is short, and it's to the point. It's time to weep. Blessed are you who are empty now and disappointed. Fortunate are those among you who grieve and know that the pain will never really go away. Lucky are you if you have something to cry about. But woe to you with lots of money, because your lives are never going to get any better. Beware if you are full now, for you will grow hungry. Take care that you are not filled with laughter, those chuckles will soon turn to tears. Love the people who drive you mad. Pray for the people who make your lives miserable. If anyone hits you, offer yourselves willingly. If someone takes your coat, offer them your shirt too. Give your money to the poor. Treat everyone the way you wish you could be treated. This good news doesn't sound much like good news to us. In fact, it sounds like bad news. If you're anything like me, you squirmed when Marshall read the words from Jesus. And if you didn't, maybe you weren't really listening. Our lives are being turned upside down by the Lord, whether we want them to be or not. For those of us comfortable with our wealth and our salary jobs, for those of us desiring deeper pockets and larger paychecks, we will never be really content. For those of us who are full from stocked refrigerators and overflowing gardens, there will come a time when we hunger for some, something that no consumption can ever satisfy. <clears throat> for those of us who will laugh on Tuesday evening when our candidate is elected, our laughter will turn to mourning and weeping when things don't change the way we thought they would. Jesus' good news sounds more like bad news. Blessed are you who weep. To be sad, to be overly emotional is regarded so negatively these days. Many of us see tears as a weakness, a weakness that's supposed to be kept private and locked away. Maybe you don't know this, but I sing behind this pulpit when we have our hymns because I don't want you to see me cry. Because when we sing those great songs like Jesus calls us over the tumult or precious Lord take my hand, it takes everything in me to not keep the tears from flowing out. So the choir knows it because they can see. But I try to keep it hidden from the rest of you. (coughs) But to cry, to be sad, to be emotional is something that we shouldn't be ashamed of. It takes great courage to weep, to open our eyes to the brokenness of this world and know that it can be better. So we might be satisfied with our lives at our moment. We might find that this world is full of emptiness and sadness and not really care. And if that's true, then the words of Jesus' sermon are not meant for us. But we might be unsatisfied with what's happening right now. We might be here in this sanctuary this morning because we want a dose of hope and reality in a world filled with despair and deception. Perhaps we believe and know that neither presidential candidate can or should be our Messiah. Maybe we are filled with grief over the Standing Rock tribe protesting against the principalities and the powers. Perhaps we are filled with sorrow after another black church in Mississippi was burned down to the ground last week. Maybe we cannot hold back the tears because this place reminds us of someone we've lost. If so, then the words of Jesus' sermon are meant for us. I've done a lot of funerals over the last few years here at St. John's. I'll be in the midst of something completely different when the phone will ring and just the breathing on the other side is an indication that someone is dead. I'll talk with the funeral home about making arrangements, I'll schedule a time with the family, and we will try our best to faithfully weave together a service of death and resurrection for the dead. More than a year ago, two of our church members died a day apart, and their funerals were scheduled for the same day, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. While meeting with both families, I asked them to share reflections about the person who died so that I might faithfully proclaim their lives from the pulpit. Both families said they wanted the services to be a celebration of life, and they asked me to focus on the good times. Now, I knew the man and the woman who died well enough to know that when the families asked me to focus on the good times, One didn't want me to talk about how the now-dead man was estranged from his wife for years. And the other family, they didn't want me to talk about how the now-dead woman lost her son years and years ago. At the time, I smiled and I nodded along, knowing full and well that life is messy and filled with sadness and shame and disappointment, even if they didn't want me to share it from the pulpit. And then... Both families, completely independent of one another, gave me a Bible that belonged to the person now dead. In the days preceding both of their services, those Bibles sat on my desk in my office. Both were well-worn, earmarked, filled with clippings, and had lots of notes written in the margins. The first belonged to the man, and when I picked it up, I flipped through the Old and New Testaments to read what he wrote about living a faithful life. In the margins were the dates corresponding when the text was preached about in church. There were question marks and exclamation points, and there were other scribbles that were impossible to decipher. And when I was moving through the New Testament, I nearly dropped the Bible in my lap because, in big and bold letters, in the margins were the words, Wedding Scripture. It was clear that this page had been read perhaps more than any other, as I could still see the depressions in the page from where his thumbs used to rest. And covering all the words on that page were the remnants of his teardrops. The second Bible belonged to the woman, and likewise I lifted it up to flip through the Old New Testaments. Hers was filled with countless lines under particular scriptures. Pages were earmarked with asterisks next to names and dates. There was a stack of obituaries tucked behind the back cover. I made my way through her Bible and stopped when I came to one of the most well-known passages in the book of Revelation. Because I saw the name of her dead son in the margins. And next to his name were the words, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain. And covering all the words on that page were the remnants of her teardrops. We see tears and emotions and hunger and grief as weaknesses. But Jesus saw something far worse than weeping. What's worse is the dangerous deception of believing that our lives are secure and stable and perfect. Jesus would have deplored the bumper sticker reduction of life to, don't worry, be happy. Woe to us who feel too comfortable, too settled, and too blessed. For unlike many of us, Jesus saw the world for all of its cracks and its ugliness. And he walked Toward the margins of life rather than avoiding them. And in so doing, he offers us something different, something strange, something unlikely, and frankly, something holy. You are blessed if you experience loss and feel the pain and cry your eyes out. Because one day, it might not be tomorrow, it probably won't be tomorrow, but one day you will laugh again, you will sing again, and you will rejoice. That's the promise of the good news that sounds like bad news. God promises us this hope, even though we don't know how it will happen, we only know that it will happen. For only God could come in the form of a baby, grow to preach the strange and upside-down gospel, die on a cross, and then offer us hope in an empty tomb three days later. What some of us forget, perhaps because we cannot help ourselves from skipping over Good Friday straight to Easter Sunday, is that the disciples ran for fear and wept for loss of their friend. They had to go through the grief and the misery of a friend buried in a tomb. They had to spill out their tears and sadness before they could laugh on Sunday when death was defeated. Grief cannot be avoided, and it cannot be skipped over. Blessed are those of us who suffer now, who grieve the loss of those we love, because we will laugh and rejoice In the resurrection from the dead. But woe to us who laugh now, who feel not a care in the world, for there will come a day when the rug is pulled out from beneath our feet, and our laughter will turn to tears, and our dancing will turn to mourning. This is as paradoxical as the life of faith gets, but that's part of what makes us sinners into saints. Today we remember all the saints. Since nearly the beginning, the church has set aside a day each year to remember the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us in the faith. We know that some of them struggle to hear this very same proclamation as good news. And we know that some of them live their lives under the tyranny of tears with an almost complete lack of laughter. We read their names and we pause for a moment to praise the Lord for placing them in our lives, for being vessels of God's grace, for helping us each to see what it means to follow Jesus. And it's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to hunger for transformation. It's hard to love our enemies. It's hard to weep without shame. And today is a reminder that though it's hard and though we may feel crazy, we are not alone. If you want to know what it takes to be a saint, you need not look further than Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. For a saint is anyone who is brave enough to grieve for the world, anyone who resists the temptation to be satisfied with the status quo, anyone who can leave behind tear marks in well worn Bibles. A saint is anyone that can come to this table and know that they don't deserve it. Perhaps you've heard the expression that church is not a museum for saints but a hospital for sinners. And this is true. But the line between a sinner and a saint is remarkably thin. We do well then to know that this place is a hospital for saints. It's a hospital for people like you and me to be made well. If you've been looking for happiness in a new house or a new job or heaven forbid a new president, you're never going to find what you're looking for. There will always be a bigger house. There will always be a higher paying job. There will always be a better president. And all of those things are hollow. Only the radical and literally life-giving dimension of God can fill the holes in our souls. So instead, remember the saints and come to the table. For it is here that we join with the church in memorial. Feast with the communion of the saints. If you are poor... If you are poor, when we share our offering plates in a few moments, take what you need. If you are that poor, take the money from the offering plate. That is what this church is here to do. If you are hungry, if you are hungry for change and righteousness in this world, then come forward and be filled with the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you feel moved to tears, then cry. Cry and cry and cry without shame. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.